It is good to be back with you this evening. I appreciate you congregating with us this morning and this evening to uh, worship our Lord on His day. Uh, I appreciate the kindness that has been extended to me uh, during this visit. And I appreciate being able to see Clay again and Sister June and getting to know some new friends and look forward to seeing you in the future at some point. I'm going to have a. I'm going to try to have a little mercy on you this evening. I went over this morning, so I'm going to try to abbreviate a little bit, uh, especially since we've gotten behind just uh, a little uh, in our meeting uh, this evening before services. But I think that was a good meeting, one that was necessary to be had. So I'm going to try to do a little dissecting while I'm up here, and uh, maybe we won't have to preach until midnight like Paul did. Satan has had some great victories in our nation of recent years. And if you'll be opening your Bible to first Kings or excuse me, Second Kings chapter five, beginning with verse nine, we're going to read a little bit about Naaman in just a moment. But Satan has had some victories in our nation the last few years. It was last year, I believe, June the twenty sixth, that they attacked the institution of marriage. And now the uh immoral uh movements in our nation are trying to grab a foothold and Try to lead us down a path we don't want to go, especially as faithful New Testament Christians. For 20 years or more, ungodly people have attacked in a very apparent way. Now, they've always, we've always been under attack, but in a very open and apparent way for more than 20 years, portions of our society and our government have attacked our Christian values. And they've wanted to do things in the way in which they've wanted to do things. And I'm severely disappointed in the direction of our nation, but I want us to be encouraged. And someone says, well, Rick, how in the world? You've started off on the wrong foot. You're trying to encourage us. Now all I am is depressed because of you mentioning the direction in which our nation is going. Well, we can still be encouraged because as Christians, we can live under any kind of a government in any kind of a situation, whether it's a tyranny, a dictatorship, a democracy, a constitutional republic, or anything that you can imagine. We can be godly Christians, and we can live in that way, and that ought to encourage us. Whether our nation around us or the world around us, whether they decide to live in that way or not. As we read in Second Kings chapter 5, we're introduced to a very prominent man, and his name is Naaman. Begin with verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9. Naaman had come to the home of Elisha because he had a problem. He received uh, the cure for that problem. He received a message. He did not like what he heard. Beginning in verse 9, it says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent out a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away. And he said this, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his name over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abinah and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now our reading says that 
Naaman said, Behold, I thought. Now that's not what happened. That's what's recorded. That's what the man said. Those are the words that came out of his mouth. But that's not what was going on in his mind. Naaman, in reality, said, Behold, I want. He wanted a certain thing. He he had no idea what would happen when he went to the home of Elisha. He didn't even understand that Elisha's Lord was everybody's God, not just his God. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he had a good idea of what he wanted to happen. But we should not be surprised when we have or we experience a behold I want attitude. That's the problem with our nation today and our world. Adam and Eve wanted something different, didn't they? Genesis 3 verse 6. Behold, they wanted that beautiful fruit that was so pretty and looked like it would taste good and it would make you wise as well. Those in the days of Noah, behold, they wanted to be ungodly and live in an ungodly manner. Genesis chapter 6. Nadab and Abihu, when we look in the book of Leviticus, Chapter 10, Behold, they wanted to get fire from a place that God did not instruct them to get to light the altar. And it just goes on and on down the list. Behold, I want to do this. Behold, I want to do that. The kingdom of God, the physical nation of Israel, divided. Rehoboam wanted to institute an unbearable situation for both the people and God. Behold, that's what he wanted to do. We look at every single king of the northern kingdom And they, behold, wanted to do something they wanted to do. And most of the southern kings were the same way. Jeroboam was afraid that the people going back to Jerusalem to worship, as God had instructed, wouldn't come back to the ten tribes God had given him. And so he set up two idols, one in the north and one in the south. He said, now that's your God. Behold, that's what he wanted. But that's not what God wanted. So we shouldn't be surprised when... Our nation does the same thing, but we can still be encouraged. Think about it. In the first century, when Jesus revealed the message to John, and John sent it to the seven churches of Asia, he was preparing them for a time that would come that would be devastating to them. There was going to come a time under the reigns of, uh, beginning with Nero in about 64, and then with Domitian, when the real persecution of the first century began, when I believe the Revelation was written around A.D. 98, they were going to have to prepare for a devastating time, and they weren't ready for that. So instead of having a behold, I want attitude, Jesus sent the Revelation. That's what the whole first three chapters are about. You have problems coming. You're not ready. Get ready. Prepare for that. And don't do it with a behold, I want attitude. They had lost their zeal. They had accepted immoralities and false teachings. Jesus said, look, I'm going to come take your candlestick if you don't get right with me. Because they had a behold I want attitude. But I want us to notice Naaman though. Naaman, and this is our first point, let's look at his description. Naaman had a whole lot of decorations. He was called the captain of the army of the king of Aram. That means he was the general of the Syrian army, second in command only to the king. He had a whole lot of authority. He carried a big stick with him, and when he talked, people listened. 
He had a lot of power. He was popular amongst the people because he had some great victories for the nation of Syria. Upon his head were the laurels of victory, and upon his chest were the medals of honor. So he had a lot of decorations. Now that means that he had a lot of power. Now I want us to understand something as well. Most of us that live in this nation are in the same situation that Naaman was in. Compared to the rest of the world, we are a mighty powerful people. We have more money than most people will ever dream of in foreign nations. And so we can identify at least in that part a little bit with Naaman. We have a lot of things in this life and a lot of those things cause us at times to turn our attention and our focus away from God onto things of an earthly nature. We begin to look at self and that's kind of the problem with the world today. This idea of self-worship, humanism. There's no greater power than, than myself. I don't have to believe in a God. Whatever I have, I've accomplished it myself. And we know James said every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. James 1 verse 7. See, Naaman was looking in the wrong direction. He was looking in the wrong direction. Now, he had a whole lot of decorations, but he had a bigger problem than what good things he had going on in his life. He had a disease. He had a disease that was terrible. I want us to notice, when Naaman is being described, when it tells about him being a man of great valor, there's not a period there. There's a comma and five words that follow that comma. But he was a leper. He had a problem. He had a disease that there was nothing he could do anything about it. I want us to understand that just because a person has great riches and great honor doesn't mean he has everything under control. He may be lacking in some areas. In fact, he may be lacking in the most important areas. In fact, that's what Naaman was doing, wasn't it? He was lacking. He had all of these things, but that word indicates he didn't have all that he needed. But he was a leper. He had a disease, a terrible disease. In fact, it was a terminal disease. That's just the way that leprosy works. Now, I don't know how many years Naaman had left on this earth at this particular time in history, but it couldn't have been too many. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a leper, but it's not a pretty sight. I've seen a few lepers in my travels, especially to southern and northern India, and it's, it's a terrible disease. Fingers will fall off. A person's nose may fall off. They just begin to deteriorate and there's just no known cure for it. And I don't believe that leprosy today is exactly what we read about in the Bible. I think it was much worse then. Have you ever heard someone that has passed away and they begin to, the preacher talks about all the great things that happened in their lives and, and rightly so. They were, they were good to children or they supported charities or they worked hard for the community and then... In our minds, though, we're sitting there and we're listening to that, but he or she was not a Christian. Isn't that sad? That's what happened to Naaman here. He had all of these great things going on in his life, but he was a leper and his days were numbered. There wasn't a cure for leprosy, especially at that time. Naaman was in trouble. But he was a leper. Instead of thinking in terms of God's grace, Naaman was thinking in terms of favoritism. He showed up at Elisha's house. Elisha was sitting in there. I had an instructor 
explain it this way one time. said, Elisha was sitting there in his easy chair, probably drinking ice, uh, sweet tea. And Naaman shows up with all of these men, all of these riches, all of these horses. And he had an idea of what he wanted Elisha to do. And Elisha sends out his servant. Well, who in the world was he to send a servant out to Naaman? Let me tell you, Naaman was the kind of guy that was used to, when he walked into a room, everybody focused on him. He was the captain of the armies of Syria. That's not what happened at Elisha's home, was it? He sent out his servant. His servant came out and said, go do this. Boy, it irritated him. He didn't like that. He was thinking that God operated in terms of favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism, does He? We all get to God, we all get to heaven in the same way through Jesus Christ according to His commandments and grace, faith through obedience. It's been that way from the beginning of time. That's how we all are pleasing to God under the uh, patriarchal dispensation, it was grace and faith through obedience. During the Mosaic uh, dispensation, it was grace, faith through obedience. In our time today, the Christian dispensation, the Christian age, it's grace, faith through obedience. Now, the, the mode has changed over time, right? In our dispensation, we believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We repent of past sins. We confess His name before others. We're immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and then we live a Christian life. It wasn't like that during the patriarchal age or the Mosaic age, but it was still grace, faith to obedience. God doesn't show favoritism, but that's what Naaman wanted to happen. Behold, I want God to show favoritism to me because of all the things I've done. But there was another problem. A lot of times we can identify with this problem Naaman was disgusted when he heard what he needed to do. That's our second point. He was disgusted. He came with all those horses and those chariots and that announcement was made to him and he didn't receive that royal treatment that he was so used to and he became upset. Gehazi told him in 2 Kings 5 verse 10, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall be restored to thee. He got mad and he left. Now, let's kind of think about that in today's terms in our religious world today. We talked about how to become a Christian. Faith is necessary. Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. We have to have faith. We have to have repentance. That's what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost, right? Acts 2, verse 38. He was asked, what what must we do to be saved after he delivered that wonderful sermon? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33, If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. So we must confess His name before men. We talked about that. Immersion in water. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized, Mark 16, 16, shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Good friend of mine, member of a denomination, I mentioned that verse to him and he said, Yeah, but you don't have to be baptized to be saved. We're kind of in the same situation here with Naaman, right? Naaman said, why do I have to go down into that water? There's got to be a better way. 
I'm used to doing it the way I want. My good friend said, read that verse again. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. It didn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be condemned. We're talking about two different things in that verse, right? We're talking about how to be saved and how to be lost. If we want to be saved, we believe and we're baptized, right? That's the group I want to be in. He's talking about the second group. If you don't want to be saved, don't believe. It doesn't matter if you're baptized, right? How many babies have you seen? Uh, I, I was on a, on a trip in uh, New Orleans one time, and I was by this temple, and I heard this screaming and crying. I thought someone was being murdered. They were baptizing the baby in there. The baby wasn't interested. The baby didn't agree to that. And so what good was that baptism? The baby didn't know what was going on, right? So you don't have to say, don't believe and don't be baptized, right? If you don't believe, it doesn't matter if you get in the water or not. There's no power in the water. We, don't, we do not teach or, nor believe in baptismal regeneration. There's no power in the water. There's power in God's grace and our faith through obedience. God says, do something, do it. I don't know why He chose baptism. I have no idea why He chose that. All I do know, though, is what it does for me. And it saves me. 1 Peter 3.21 He's talking about Noah, using that as an example. He said the light figure, the same example, or a similar example. He says, Baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Not like taking a bath, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. That's what baptism does for us, right? It does a whole lot of things. It's not more important. It's not most important. But let me tell you, it is just as important. I tell people when I have Bible studies, I say if you walk from here to there, it takes every step, the first, the last, and all those in between. One's not more important than the other, but you have to have all of them. And when Paul said, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If I'm unto something, I'm not in it yet. You see, and that's where we want to be, Ephesians 1 verse 3. We want to be in Christ where all spiritual blessings are. But how do we get into Christ? There's only two places in the whole of the New Testament that specifically tells us how to get into Christ. That's Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Romans 6, 3 and 4. We're buried with Him, we're baptized into Christ. Not more important, but just as important. Naaman didn't want to hear that. That's the application for today, isn't it? People don't want to hear about that step. Just like Naaman, God's announcement still causes that same anger today. Behold, I want. Behold, I want. This is a reminder to us of what Solomon said. Let's notice Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It was Jeremiah that said, Jeremiah ten twenty three, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We can't come with a plan of salvation. We have to rely upon our Lord. We have to accept His grace. We have to be willing to be obedient, faith through obedience. When we look in Hebrews chapter 11, that's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. You go down through there and it talks about uh, Abel, right? By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Cain didn't do that. Cain offered, Behold, I want to offer the fruits of the ground, not what God told me to offer. And he became angry. Much like Naaman, he didn't like hearing the rebuke. He didn't want to repent. That didn't cause him to have godly sorrow like Paul told those in Corinth. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. 
Not like worldly sorrow. It's kind of like politicians, right? They get into a little bit of trouble and they, they apologize after they get caught. A little boy that, member of Cordova, I guess he's about 10 now. I love that little fella. Meanest little boy I ever saw in my life. He was up on the counter at his house one time and he was getting into the, the cabinet and he found the cookie jar and and he had his hand in there and boy, his mama come around the corner and said, Declan, what are you doing? And what I believe I would have done was put the cookie back, jump down, and may have run off. I don't know. I didn't. It never worked out too good for me to run off. But what he did, he just started filling his mouth full. He getting all he could get before his mama could get over there to him. And he did apologize, but it was only after he got caught. So that's not godly sorrow, is it? That's worldly sorrow. To Naaman, it was ignorant and it was foolish to dip seven times in that muddy Jordan River. Why God chose that, I don't know. But I do know that when Naaman walked down into that river and he dipped seven times in all that muddy water, he came up, his flesh was restored. See, we need a little encouragement at this point. We're talking about all these bad things, and I want us to be encouraged, though. I don't like to, to end a sermon on discouragement. There's some bad things happening. There are a lot of people in our world that have a lot of decorations leading our government, and they're leading us down the wrong path. There's a whole lot of people in this world that have this disease of sin, and it's killing them. It's killing those that we love. But we have to have a little encouragement. How do we get around that? How do we fix that problem? Well, just like Naaman did, there can be deliverance. That's our third point. There can be deliverance. Naaman heard. He finally heard what God was saying. He left in a rage. The Bible says, but John recorded this in Revelation 1 verse 3. He said, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. He finally heard it, finally sunk in. You know, really there's a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? We can hear a whole lot of things. My wife will tell me a whole lot of things sometimes, and I know, I recognize she's talking to me. I hear that, and my mind wanders, and it's not too good as it, as it once was, or maybe it never was too good. But I, I don't always listen, and it takes something to jolt me back into reality. And sometimes she raises her voice just a little bit to get my attention. And so then I begin to hear it. See, it's one thing to read it, right? But we have, to, we have to digest it. We have to put it into our lives. And we have to see a result of that. Paul told uh, those to whom he preached, and Jesus Christ said the same thing, we must bring forth works meet for or worthy of repentance, right? We know what we need to do, but we have to show what we're doing. We need to have a paper trail, in other words. Unfortunately for Naaman, he had a servant. He had a servant that came up to him and he said, Lord, I think he called him Father. He said, would you not have done some great thing? Because remember, Naaman was a, he was a warrior. He was a courageous man. He was brave. He said, would you not have done some great thing if the prophet had asked you to do that? Well, of course he would have. He said, why don't you go dip in the water? Why don't you go dip in the water? And so that's what he did. You know, again, I don't understand why God told him to do that, but think about uh, some things this way. If you ever notice that between the command and the receiving of the promise, God throughout history has chosen an arbitrary command in between those two things. Think about that. March around Jericho, 
and the walls will fall down. Why march around Jericho? Well, I don't know. But it sure enough made the walls fall down, didn't it? Wash in the pool of Siloam and be healed. Why do that? I don't know. I couldn't really tell you, but I know it will heal you or heal that man. Look on the brazen serpent and you'll be healed from all those snake bites. And Moses put that brazen serpent out there. But you know what? The brazen serpent was there. The people believed it was outside the tent, but they had to crawl over to the door and they had to look out and look at the serpent or they weren't going to be healed. Why look at the serpent? Well, I'm not sure, but I know it healed them. That's what baptism does, right? Why do you choose baptism? I don't know, but I know it saves me. You know, God designed certain things to be done in certain ways. And we need to heed those things, right? We can be delivered. We have to hear it, but we must heed it also. Naaman humbled himself. He went to the Jordan. He washed seven times. He dipped seven times. He came out and he was no longer a leper. But he had to overcome something, didn't he? He had to overcome the same thing all of us had to overcome before we obeyed the gospel. Every one of us thought we were doing the right thing. Or at least probably most of us did. We thought we were doing the right thing. We probably didn't necessarily like hearing the gospel plan of salvation, especially if it contradicted something we previously believed. But we had to overcome something. The same thing Naaman had to overcome, pride. We had to overcome pride. Solomon said this, he said, Pride goeth before destruction, and the haughty spirit before fall. People can repent, and they can forsake the sins of the world. We can be delivered. It doesn't matter what our government does. It doesn't matter what the world does. We can be delivered. Paul talked about that peace that passes all understanding to the Philippian brethren. What was he talking about? What kind of peace passes the understanding? What was he talking about and who was he telling it to? He's talking to Christians. He was talking about peace that passes the understanding. That's an elliptical phrase. The understanding of those in the world. They don't understand how a Christian... When we're in bad health, when bad things happen to us, how we can still be happy, but we can. Because we know this life is very temporary. Eternity doesn't end. And when we prepare ourselves for eternity, we can have that peace that passes the understanding of those in the world because we know heaven will surely be worth it all. Don't we sing a song that says that? Heaven will surely be worth it all. Paul said... 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, isn't it good to know that God's not going to hold anything against us that we've repented of and properly done away with? There are going to be some books open on the last day. There's going to be a book of life. Then there's going to be a book open because in the Revelation, the books are opened. There are going to be those books that list the things of this life that we've done. Now, if we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that's what our part in that book is going to say doesn't matter what we've done in the past as long as we've taken care of it in the proper way. Faith through obedience. But if we haven't, there's going to be a whole lot of things on that list that we don't want to hear ourselves and we certainly don't want those around us to know. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can be delivered as long as we heed. 
We can be healed, our nation can be healed if it will, but the main thing is that we can do what God wants us to do. But we have to do that. We have to correct our course. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 4, 10 through 13, We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off and are the offscurring of all things unto this day. James said this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James 1, 2. Had a friend of mine call me not too long ago from Texas, and I said, Hello, and he said, Should we stay or should we go? Now, that's a song somewhere along in the times of history, but what he was talking about was, Should he stay in the present ministry because of the direction of our nation, the direction particularly of the area in Dallas? He, should, should, he said, Should I get out of here? I said, No. I said, the world needs you now more than any time in the history. You've got to stay. You've got to work hard. You've got to be faithful. Don't leave now. Don't leave now just because it's getting a little bit rough. Hey, I imagine it was rough in the first century. Can you imagine being Noah and standing there, building that ark, and everyone else in the world had no good thoughts at all, only evil continually? Can you imagine how rough that would have been? That had to have been bad, right? So let's stand firm. We can be delivered, but we have to be obedient. We talked about how to do that. You have to be a member of God's family. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. See, once you attain initial salvation, you have to keep going. You have to remain steadfast. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we step out of the light. We talked a little bit about that in our meeting before services. It's a whole lot easier to remain in the light than it is to get someone back into it. But we can God has made provision for that, known as the second law of pardon. That's not in the Bible, but that's what it is. The second law of pardon. John talks about it in 1 John 1, 7. We confess our faults, we own the sin, we ask God to forgive us, and we step back into the light, and then the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. If you find yourself in either situation this evening, you've never obeyed the gospel, or you've stepped outside the light, don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with our Lord. You don't have to do that. You can be delivered. If you have that need this hour, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.